Hey, this is Zev Bennett. Welcome back to the Sewed Blocks podcast channel, and this is another episode of the Nefesh Chaim series, where we are exploring the book Nefesh Chaim, and we are currently in the middle of Chapter 6, Learning a Transformational Foundational Torah that is designed to actually change the way you see things, experience reality, upgrade your perceptions to more and more and more sophisticated levels, so that reality becomes ever more clear and visible and uncovered, and just generally more fun to sort of live through. And so we are in the middle of chapter six over here. We have, This is the second part in the chapter six part over here, 6.2. And what's happening right now is that we were just sort of finishing in the previous section of, in the first part of chapter six, really, um, just continuing with this concept of how Hashem and man are kind of linked through this series of layers. And these layers have, you can think of them as wires, and that whenever you behave and operate, within the system, so you actually cause vibrations of your consciousness to radiate out into the system of existence, and it goes through all of existence and even goes all the way up to Hashem. And then the uh, the next part of the story here that he's going to bring in this little Haggah, uh, which means the, you know, it's kind of his own commentary on his own book, um, on page 17 here in the uh, standard edition. So what Rav Chaim Velezhner is going to talk about now is just sort of how even though we um, we were designed this way originally, in other words, in other words, the whole point of man was that it was that we were sort of the, this character that we are a balance between the intangible and the tangible. We have intangible aspects and also tangible aspects. So we have bodies that are very physical and measurable, and then we also have the intangible self that looks out through the body. We have all the layers of intangible translating down to tangible. Also, the thoughts which are in, more intangible but still. A little bit tangible because they're detectable in the brain and then we have feelings emotions that are a little bit more tangible physiological phenomena um, that are then but are still more tangible than thoughts and then we actually have the body itself and all of its biology um, and all its physical biology at least because even emotions are biological as our thoughts um, in some form at least so um, basically what we're doing then is we are we are looking at how man is the balance point in that way or kind of the expression of both sides of, of existence inside of the physical and intangible world so we are kind of like a little bit of both hybridized together and so the only thing is that that was always the plan in other words when in, in, if you look at the process that Hashem was kind of trying to, to generate here so it's a process in which there is a creature that has intangible consciousness manifest in a tangible context and that is slowly evolving to become more and more and more and more conscious that's really the whole point of the setting that we are in, that kind of process. And so there's obviously going to need to be more to discuss with that also, like why is that the point and why would Hashem want to do that? But the point is that if that's the whole point of this context, so then that really ignores um, kind of like the role of errors and mistakes because we are all very prone to making mistakes and doing what's called a chet. Chet is translated in more Christian terms as the word sin, and the word sin is not what a chet is. A sin is usually viewed as like a blemish, you did something wrong, and now you're going to be in trouble for that. Uh, that is a very inaccurate description of what the Torah means when, some, when a person does what's called a chet. A chet is a deviation from reality, and we're going to have to explain now what exactly that looks like in terms of its mechanics and what it means on the inside. And so the capacity for chet is something which seems like um, it is. It, it was always there because if you think about it, if the process of the and the purpose of the process of this context is to evolve constantly, well, to become ever more conscious, that implies there's also the possibility of becoming less conscious because if we are activating our free will 
to become more conscious. That implies you could also activate your free will to become less conscious. And that would be sort of like the opposite of the purpose of existence. And that would be a deviation from the purpose of existence. That's the meaning of the word chet, to deviate from the purpose of existence. And so here, the, the Nefesh HaChem is going to explain to us what exactly happened. Uh, there's a certain point in existence where we transform from one format to another in a slight different type of way, slightly different type of way. And that's the story of the Garden of Eden. It's a story of what's called the Eitz HaDa'at Tovara, uh, the tree, usually translated as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A more accurate translation of that phrase is the tree uh, of experiential perception of what, it, what I'm interested in versus what I'm not interested in. In other words, the tree transforms you from a person who sees reality as it is in a clear, true, truth-based way to a person who sees reality through the lens of what you are interested in slash what you're into and what you are apathetic towards, what you don't care about. In other words, you evaluate what you notice and what you see through a lens of whatever you find interesting to you or attractive to you versus things that you find uninteresting and irrelevant. And so that's a very different way of evaluating reality because it means you kind of notice things that are intriguing and interesting to you for whatever, however you train yourself. If you're trained to be interested in things that are sexual, then you'll notice those things. If you're trained to, to, to notice things that are food-based, you'll notice those things. And so you, you could walk into a context like a restaurant, and if you're very interested in food, you'll notice a lot of food things, but you will not notice many other details of the restaurant because they fade into the background. However, those details are still there. They are 100% present. You don't notice them because you are only, you, are, you trained yourself uh, you took the ability that you have. The ability that you have is that you you have the capacity to only notice what you're interested in. You trained yourself to become more and more interested in food, and then you simultaneously make yourself less and less interested in other things, and they fade away into the background. So that's what das tovara means. It's a das tovara, a tree that, leads, that, that gives you perceptual knowledge, perceptual experiential knowledge. In other words, you experience the world this way. Uh, of what you want and what you don't want. You experience the world through the lens of what you want and what you don't want. And so that is what we mean when we say the Eitzadas Tovara. And the point here is that that's something which transitioned. It happened uh, where we were first equipped with perceptual knowledge. We experienced the world through the lens of reality, what actually is there. And now we experience the, lens, the world through the lens of fragmented perceptions where you only notice the things that you're into and whatever you train yourself to be into, that's what you'll see. If you train yourself to be interested in the truth, then you'll see the truth. But if you're not particularly trained to do that, then you will tend to see instead um, whatever it is that you're into. Uh, you see what you want to see. So this is going to describe for us now um, what it is. That, now, given the fact that now today we have this problem where we have the Eitzadas Tovara transformation and we are still like that, so then how does that interface with the structure of, of consciousness? In other words, if we're looking at these hubs, and each one of us is this miniature hub of consciousness inside of a network of layers of existence, and we radiate out into that network, so what exactly, what impact does it have that now we also have the capacity to have distorted perceptions based on this tree? That's what he writes here. This whole idea that at Adam was kind of this uh, hybrid of all layers of existence, uh, that, that's all before the chait, the deviation of the story of the Eitzadas, before he went off the rails and ate from the tree. At that point, he, he was not including anything except for the layers and forces of Kedusha. In other words, all the layers of reality and different ingredients of existence that were sort of um, being linked to Adam, it was, it was the layers that were sort of like, you could think of them as, the kochos means 
layers that are directly uh, ascribed and attributable back to Hashem. In other words, you see how things flow from the source of consciousness. And the things that you relate to in existence are all things that you can detect to being sourced in Hashem. Velomi kochos hara, but not from the forces of ra, things that are distant from Hashem. So kochos hara, the, the concept of ra in the Torah, the idea of what evil is. Evil does not mean evil the way we think of it. Like, oh, there's bad people or good people or there's bad actions or good actions. Good and bad are not terms that are particularly relevant and particularly useful in understanding what the Torah talks about when it talks about uh, you know, what the, how existence functions. Now, in a lot of moral and philosophical and theological discussions, so the discussion of good and evil is very central because it's like, well, what's good? What's evil? We have like, it's, it's, you shouldn't be evil. It should be good. But the tricky part with, in, in the issue with talking about good and evil is that if you don't have a context to define what something is good for, then the word good is meaningless. If you say something is, if you say like a, you know, a, a piece of pizza is good, so good for what? So we always assume that what you mean is it's good to eat, but you might mean it's good to taste, might like it tastes good. In other words, you like the taste. It might mean that it's good to put it to, to make you feel like less hungry. Uh, it might mean that you are you enjoy it because um, you can say it could, it could be good as a projectile. It could be good for lots of things. So we just impute what it is that you mean when you say that it's good. And what you really mean is it's good for you to eat. And if I don't like pizza, then it's not good for me to eat. So the words good and bad have always need to have context in order to have actual meaning. And so, but that's not what the word ra means. The word tov and ra, well, you should just understand that we talk about things that are ra in terms of Hashem in the Torah. If Hashem says that something is ra, that means it is something which Hashem does not want. It is something which is not what is part of the purpose of existence. So if we talk about what I, what I view as Ra, well, it depends. Every person can have a different definition of what they don't like, what they do not want. So it's very subjective. But when we have Hashem, Hashem has a subjective idea of what he doesn't want. And Hashem's subjective um, not wantedness, what's Ra in Hashem's mind, is what we view as objectively Ra. So in other words, if Hashem, Hashem says that it's Ra to be distant from him, Anything, anything that, that any, like if you think about the spectrum of your existence, so you're trying to become more conscious, what does that mean? You're trying to be, develop a deeper awareness of the connection between you and Hashem, to realize that you are actually linked as a fragment of consciousness to Hashem's self. So that's what you actually are. Now this is, again, I'm kind of jumping ahead here in the writing, but just for our purposes right now to understand this idea of what it means to be Ra. So Ra means that you are operating in a way that is distancing you from Hashem, makes you experience yourself as more independent and more cut off from Hashem, that you experience yourself as if you are your own separate being as opposed to someone who is actually linked to and connected to Hashem. So the more you do that, the more kochos hara you connect to and experience, the more you experience yourself as if you are a separate being, which is why very often you'll find writings that talk about how evil is rooted in the ego and, and religious e religious evil is certainly, it's all about you know selfishness and looking at yourself as if there's nobody else and you're focusing on yourself instead of God. And these are all terms people will use, which are very, I would say, uh, unsophisticated terminologies. They really just describe the, the dynamic that I'm expressing here, which is that when you experience yourself and perceive yourself as distant and independent in a way that is, you know, you're an island among other people. So then that essentially is what we mean when we say kochos hara, because you're experiencing yourself as distant from others, distant from Hashem, and in a very deep sense, distant from your own real self, because your consciousness fragment that you are, your neshama, is actually an aspect of the larger self that we call Hashem. So when you cut yourself off from that and experience yourself as more distant from it, that's called ra. 
It's also less conscious. You're less awake when you do that. Okay, so the point here is that now, after the chet, so now we are also, Now we actually have within us also kohos What that means is that whereas before, you could think of it as before we could look at, at existence and see it deeply, and we see that everything flows from Hashem, and even the most physical things that look very distant, right? Because physical things, the reason why they tend to look more distant from Hashem is because physical things look like they are isolated. With a physical thing, you see, I don't know, take a pair of scissors. See a pair of scissors, so it looks like, well, the pair of scissors is a certain shape, and what you see is what you get. There's no, there's like, you know, when the, when, where the scissors end, that's where the rest of the world begins. There's no, like, um, interconnection between the scissors and everything else because the scissors are scissors. They are defined, and therefore they are cut off from everything else around them. They are just a, an independent pair of scissors. We wouldn't say the scissors and everything around them have a relationship of any kind. So that perspective is something which is unique to the world of the physical because physical things are very, very clearly defined and measurable. And so that's, uh, that's, how, that's why the physical existence is more prone to kohosara dynamics. So you could think of it as before. So of all the layers of existence, we could see, you know, we could see how everything that's physical derives from Hashem. You could see that everything that's more and more and more intangible in the layers of existence is all rooted in Hashem. That's called seeing them as kohosat kedusha. But then there's also the capacity to distort reality and to see things from a consciousness place as if they are cut off from Hashem and each thing is independent and fragmented and cut off from it from each each other thing. And so that perspective is what we call kohos hara ve'atoma. Toma here also means um, that you're deeply embedded in the physical to the point where now there is no plug that connects that physical thing to its source of life. So what Toma always means, deeply embedded in the physical, such that now it is cut off from its source of life. And so now we have the ability to actually perceive things in existence as if they are um, cut off from Hashem and distant from Hashem. And that perception, that ability to see things that way, that is what we call kohos atoma vehara. And so the irony of that is if you actually look at any physical object, all physical objects are much more than they appear. I mean, on the atomic level, um, they are definitely a compilation of atoms in a particular arrangement, and all, and all physical existence is that. And even more than that, when you start to delve into the deeper level of that, which is that all atoms are actually energy in a condensed form, so you realize that all things are actually made from the same thing and are all one thing. So you can actually look deeper now and see that. But the point is that that's what the kohos hara is. We may let, um, so after we ate from the tree, we may let a rav osam ayadeze gambaholamos. So now, once we got kohos hara, the capacity to have a distorted consciousness perception in our system, so now that also mixes that together with all the layers of existence, too. That now, the, that, that, that just like our consciousness radiates into everything else, so if you have a distorted consciousness, that will spread distortions in the system. And that's because we are actually linked and connected to all the layers of existence. And those layers of existence operate and fluctuate uh, according to our own trends and what we do. That's what the Eitzadas Tovara did. So since we are interconnected with all the layers of existence, so and now we also have this capacity for distorted perceptions, so in, in the lens that we use for our consciousness to actually perceive existence, so now the way that we interact with reality well, we can be based on perceptions that are flawed. If you see reality in a flawed way, so let's say you look at another person and say, well, that person is an obstacle to my progress, I'm going to remove that person from the world. That's what drives what we call murder. 
So murder is where you basically perceive somebody else as very distant from you, and they are essentially viewed as an obstacle to your independent existence, as opposed to understanding that every self is actually the same self looking out at the world through different eyes. You see that person as a threat to you. So that's very opposition-oriented, very adversarial, and very distance-oriented. So when you see things that way, and you decide to execute that that perception by killing the other person, that is actually a situation in which now you are expressing a distorted perception into existence. You are changing your consciousness to become more trans, more uh, superficial, more shallow, and then that actually changes the the whole all the layerings of existence, both in terms of that person's existence, in terms of your own consciousness, and that radiates out into the world in a way that causes distortions that sort of vibrate through the entire system. That's the Eitz Adas Tovara. The way this works is that before the chet, although you certainly had um, the total power of free will to make choices before the chet, to do whatever you wanted, to make things more the way that Hashem wanted or less, that's the whole point of, this, of the setting, right? The whole point of the setting was that we should be able to make choices to actually enhance consciousness of Hashem or reduce consciousness of Hashem. And you see that that's obviously true, that we had free will because we uh, made a choice to violate what Hashem wanted. So in other words, what he's just saying here is that um, understand that before the chet, so we also had the ability to make choices that were more Hashem-oriented or less, and just the, he's going to explain the difference in the second what was actually different, but to suggest that as some as some do that before the story of the gar, of the of the Garden of Eden tree of knowledge um, happened, so people did not have free will. That is one hundred percent false. There's many proofs of that in the text, by the way. To read the story textually and say that human beings did not have free will and self awareness before they ate from the tree uh, is impossible. So that's a longer discussion, not for this context. Um, so. So what was the difference? It wasn't that the, your power of free will was stemming from the fact that you have Ra within you, because um, at that point we did not have any of the dynamics of Ra. We could not perceive existence through the lens of what we of things that violate what Hashem wants. Because we were at that point, we were very clear. We could see things clearly. All we had within us was perceptions that linked us to the awareness that everything comes from Hashem. And we saw the layers of reality in that way clearly. And all of our ideas and, and ways of being were all straight and linked to Hashem in that way, very purely. There was no interest and no tendency towards the distance from Hashem perception. So we didn't see things that way. So you saw what it was. Uh, sorry, just uh, skipped a huge paragraph there. My bad. Um, and so that means that all the forces of Ra were on the side, were sort of like external to us, and they were they were literally separate. In other words, you could understand the idea of Ra at that point. You understood that it was something which would take create more distance between you and Hashem if you decided to live in a certain way, but you had no way of you had no genuine interest or or way of seeing that as like a path that you were that you were on or that you were following. There was not something that was not something which you actually experienced as oh this is a path that I might want to take. There was no you wanting it in that way. There was you seeing it, you understanding it, but not you wanting it. 
So that's a you know as an analogy, it's kind of like if you're getting married and you're you're underneath the the wedding canopy, and you know that the husband husband and wife are looking at each other. So husband and wife in that situation, even though they are aware that they could violate their loyalty to each other in that setting, uh, nobody would ever do that in that setting. You wouldn't violate your 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 marriage relationship while you're actually underneath the wedding canopy. Like, you know, you wouldn't turn to somebody else and suddenly be like, hey, let's make out or whatever. No one would ever do that because you see in the moment that's not something which you want. Right now you want this and you want what you're doing. So the other wanting, is it just it just does not exist. There is no wanting for that kind of deviation in that setting. Uh, that's what we're saying here. You are aware of the distancing possibilities that you could undergo to separate yourself from Hashem. You were aware of them before the tree. But you would you just saw things clearly and never would act on them because of that because they were outside of you, so you didn't actually want them. You just knew about them. So what happens next? You had the power of choice to actually decide to enter into the 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 forces of Ra on purpose. You could do, you could have done that. You just knew not to. Just like a person has free will to decide if they want to jump into a fire. So you you have the choice to do that, but you wouldn't do it. Unless you had a, again, unless you had a reason why you'd want to, but if you don't, if you generally you would not want to jump into a fire, and therefore you wouldn't do it. So when the when the sitra achra, sitra, the samach aleph stands for sitra achra, it literally means the other side. And what that's referring to is that um, the 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 concept of otherness from Hashem, of distance from Hashem, is called the sitra achra. Uh, it's also known as the satan. And it's also known as the Yetzer Hara. These are different terms with the same idea. Essentially, it means the trend or tendency uh, to separate ourselves from Hashem and to distance ourselves from the source of existence. So that that tendency, when it wanted to pull uh, to pull Adam away from Hashem, so that required an external force, what we call the Nachash, translated uh, kind of loosely as the snake, so we wanted this, this character, the Nachash, to we need we needed the character, the Nachash, in the story to actually cause the people to become interested in in deviating from the truth because they couldn't do they wouldn't have done that on their own because they saw clearly what was real, what was not real. So the snake had to come and give them a distorted perception that would actually pull them away from what's true. which is not the way that it is now. where the 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 energy that pulls us to do things that violate truth now is actually within us. Which is why the Medrash says that we actually have the snake inside of us now. That same character, the Nachash, is now within us. And now it appears to us that we actually ourselves want to deviate from truth, and we actually want to cut ourselves off from Hashem. We experience it as if it's our own wanting, as opposed to something which is external to us, uh, which is how it was before. And so then... After that chait, where we followed the seduction of the sitra achra, of that nachash character, as, through, through the nachash character, that's when the kochos then became, the forces of ra became mixed inside of us. And then they simultaneously also, just like they were mixed inside of us, they spread through all of existence. And that's what it means, the tree of perception of what you want and what you don't want. That th- these forces of tov and ra they merged with us inside of ourselves, and also in the layers of existence, um, things that are in harmony with what Hashem wants, and things that also violate that. So those different kinds of ways of of, of perceptions and and experiences of reality 
they all merge together inside of us and therefore also into the surrounding uh, environment that we that we live in. Because uh, we know the word das means connection or, or merging. So that's why the word das, uh, I usually translate it as perception, because if you've ever, if you've ever heard the phrase, uh, you know, you can learn something intellectually, but you have to internalize it if you want it to actually change or impact the way that you operate. So what that means is das means a, 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 um, a way of knowing something that is connective, connective knowledge. And you, the knowledge that you connect to means knowledge that you experience as, as, as existing. You can intellectually know a fact that you have not experienced, and then it doesn't really impact your behavior. Uh, that, you know, that's as an example, if you are an addict or smoker, really any kind of unhealthy behavior pattern um, where you know something is not a good thing to do, but you do it anyway because of the experiential side, you still experience it as, as more what you want than the alternative. So if you could experientially encounter that thing in a way that you experience the reasons why you wouldn't want it, then that would be an internalizing process where now you actually merge your identity with that information such that now you experience it as if that's what you, you yourself actually now want that the way that, the way that it is. So that's what das means. That's why I always associate it with perception because you use your perceptions to experience reality in a connective sense. Um, that, that's a much longer discussion also, which we will get to a little later on in the book when we start talking about perceptions more deeply. Okay. Okay, he's explained more in this, the book Eitz Chaim, which is uh, Rizal's book. He just, he said it kind of shortly, but didn't, didn't go into it. Another book also by that Rizal. So you could see it there more explained. That's what the, the, the sages of, of the Talmud, of the Medrash said. That when the Nachash was intimate with Chava, he inserted into her this infection. It means literally into her, that he actually inserted into Chava, into this woman in the story of the Garden of Eden, uh, something which was actually an infectious disease which damaged her. And that led to this incredible you know, uh, mixing together and very chaotic dynamic in all of the actions of man. That you get a very wide variety of activities and actions on the part of people because we have the ability to mix so much Ra and Tov that you can do things that are wildly connective to Hashem and wildly disconnective and every day some of this and some of that. Pam Tov, Pam Ra. Once it could be Tov, connecting to Hashem, Pam Ra, once distancing. And it's constantly moving, oscillating back and forth because we're all over the map with this, each of us individually. Even one action that has like a, it's actually something which is more connective. It's almost impossible for a person to actually have a connective action be really purely connective. Uh, without any kind of inserted tendency inside or a little bit of a, of a thought within it that is damaging and that is sort of taking it away from that, uh, from that tov. Also, anytime you do something which is ra, it's never purely ra. Some kind of thought that's also uh, something that's going to be tov within that. Okay, so we're going to stop with this at this point, but basically that's the... We're going to continue to deepen our understanding of the story here. The rest of the Haggah, we'll try to finish that in the next episode. But essentially, it's going on to explain uh, the pattern of this tendency towards Ra and how it exists. And then you'll start to see how this is kind of like the foundation of the journey that we are currently on. We are still trapped 
in the tendency of Das Tovara. And when we finish that, that process of cleansing ourselves from the infection of that, that's when we start the next phase of existence, which is what we'll call Olam Haba, which is then the, ten, the, the uh, context in which you are always Ba. There's always more and more and more evolution in a way that is not deviating towards Ra. Um, that's where right now you can think of us in a very temporary holding pattern in the, in, the, in the context that we're in right now as we are stuck constantly reliving the story of the Garden of Eden trying to cleanse ourselves from the error and the distortions of that problem. So we'll pick up with that in the next episode and looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening. Have an awesome day.